Thank you for joining the Faith Chapel Podcast. Wherever you may be joining us, we hope you know you are loved and that this message encourages you. And just time for picnic, going to the beach, summer vacations, getting out of school. Summer is an incredibly important season for us spiritually. Summer is a season for growth. It's a season where we see what we have planted in those winter months. And we talked about winter and how in winter nothing's going on on the surface. In fact, if we don't recognize and embrace the grace of winter, what happens is we begin to think of winter as just cold and callous and cruel. But really what's happening, like those perennial trees, we're growing deeper and we're growing wider. We're actually getting stronger in our character and in our spirit where God is really forming us. And then we move into that springtime where it's not an easy time where we think of spring nowhere. Oh, it's spring and it's warm and it's flowers. And, and we kind of have that same mentality of Olaf, like, oh, it's spring. And God says, oh, no, I'm going to come into your heart and I'm going to teal over the hardness that's in your heart. And I'm going to prepare the soil so that the seed of the word of God can be planted in your heart so that it can spring forth the harvest of righteousness. And then when we get to summer, we begin to see those seedlings begin to pop out of the soil as they're reaching towards the sun. And we go, yes, finally there's growth. And summer is a season of growth. But as we've been looking at the seasons, it's not always what we think it is. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in the summer seasons. In fact, our our series text verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, and I want you to say it with me. It's kind of a memory verse for all of us. We can say it together when we say it. It says this. It says, there is a season for... No, I said I want everyone to say it, and so not like half of you, like everyone. So let's say it again. Are you ready? There is a season for everything and a time for every event under heaven. There's a season for everything, and there's a time... For every event under heaven. God has spent more time planning your life than you will living it. And so like every time that we begin to move from one season to another, there's a transition that happens. And we don't like transition because transition says change is about to come. And unless we're prepared for that change, we tend to resist it. Unless we're moving from something we think is bad to something better. And as we begin to look at the summer season, what I want us to to look at is just like the farmer, when he begins to plant those seeds in the ground in spring, it it is possible that he'll step back and go, wow, okay, my season's done. Like I did all the work and I'm ready for the harvest. How many of you know that is absolutely not true, right? In fact, now if you begin to write down in your notes, Summer can cause apathy or laziness, right? I mean, it's like we take time off. Kids are out of school and all of a sudden they can't read anything, right? We put, we put a book in front of Jackson. He goes, it's summer. I can't read. I don't know. I just like it changed in the calendar and all of a sudden the brain kicked off lazy and it becomes apathetic, right? But if you know anything about, if you know anything about those farmers and what they've done in the spring, it only prepares them for more work in the summer. For instance, there's weeds that they have to attend to. 
There's pests that they have to make sure that stays clear of what they've planted so that harvest will eventually come. They have to worry about irrigating those plants that they have enough moisture to begin to grow. They have to worry about the different weather patterns that happen through across, you know, across the area. And they got to worry about predators that come in and want to munch on and take away that harvest before it's quite ready. And spiritually speaking, I think that's what happens in our life in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, never be lacking zeal. It doesn't matter what season you're in, is that you can never be lacking in zeal. That we're, it's our responsibility, in other words, to keep our spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. That even in the hot months of summer, when we want to go find a chair and sit underneath a palm branch someplace and, and sip our best favorite drink and go, wow, summer's here. We might find ourselves like Olaf in a puddle somewhere, right? And, I mean, we've got to keep the zeal going. And how do we keep the zeal going? We're going to look at that. But it says in Ephesians 5, 16, that we're to make the most of every opportunity of every season. It's that same word. That we're to make the most of the summer season that we're in right now. That means we're not to take some time off, become spiritually apathetic or lazy. That means we're supposed to continue to invest or embrace the grace, I've been calling it, in this season that we're in so we, that we can continue to grow. Number two is that our, we become overconfident or become prideful in the summer season. I see this, especially new converts, because they say things like this, look how far I've come. Look at how far I've come. And and when we do that, what we begin to do is put ourselves on a pedestal like we've arrived or like we've obtained something. How many of you know that we've obtained nothing? It was Jesus obtained it all for us, right? And it's someday that when we receive that crown and we stand before him, we'll take it off because we're still not worthy and we'll throw it at his feet and we'll say, thank you, Jesus, for it was only you that made it possible for me to even be here in this place right now because you're the only one that's worthy to receive all praise and all glory and adoration. So there's nothing we can do in our own strength or even in our own merit that allows us to stand in God's presence and be in relationship with God. It's only because of what Jesus has done. So we cannot become overconfident in ourselves or prideful. In fact, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 10, 12, if you think you're standing, be careful that you're about to fall. I love it in the King James. If you think you stand, take heed, at least you fall. He's telling us that when you become prideful, when you think that, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, he said, oh yeah, you're about to fall, (laughs) right? Destruction is lurking at your door. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before a destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We need to let pride take a ride and maintain our humility before the Lord and saying, God, I recognize it's only your grace. It's your grace. We also have to be, in the summer months, patient and persistent. I love how James sums it up for us as he talks about seasons in James 5. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Is the Lord come yet? No. So then we still have to be patient and persistent. Seeing how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and for the spring rain. But as we patiently wait for the autumn and just, you know, next week is, is the harvest. It's the blessing of God. It overtakes us. Whatever we planted multiplies and there's more than what we've planted in these other previous three seasons. But as we patiently wait for the blessing of God to overtake us, what do we do? Then we just need to wait upon the Lord. We need to be patient and persistent at what God has called us to do. 
In Philippians chapter 2, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Now stop there just a minute. God is working in you every single day. God is building something in you every single day. Before the foundation of the world, he created things for you to do every single day. He's working in you, though outwardly you waste away. The Bible says inwardly you're being made renewed each and every day. He's working in you every day. So his responsibility is to work in you. How many know God is doing that? Like we don't have to worry. We don't have to get up tomorrow and go, God, are you working something inside of me? Like, are you trying to form me? Are you trying to make me? Are you trying to shape me into the image of your son? I'm just wondering, are you doing what you've called? Are you doing that? We don't ever have to worry about that. Amen? Amen. We don't have to worry about that. So what do we have to worry about? What's our responsibility in the equation? If God is working something in, what's our job? To work it out. God, what are you doing in my life so that I can work it out? God, what are you building in my life so that I can build it out? What are you establishing in my life so that I can see it come to fruition? What seeds are you placed in me so I can see the harvest? What are you working in that I might work out? And by the way, that word there, that word work is just the same as those of you that go to the gym. How many of you guys go to the gym? Let me see your hand real high and, and you work out. Just want to see all those self-serving people that love to look in their own mirror at themselves and go, see, look how far I've come. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm making excuses for why I don't go right now. That's what I'm doing. But it's the same word, work out. As you're working out, you're pushing, there's resistance. There's going to be resistance in this world because you're, you're saying, I'm working it, I'm working it, I'm working it out. There's some resistance to me working out. There's some resistance to the spirit of God working in my life because it's contrary to the things that are of this world. The things that are in this natural world are warring against my spirit. So I have to learn to work it out, what God is working in me. And when I do that, he goes on to say this, then I'll know the will and I'll be able to act according to the, and to fulfill the good purposes of God. I will know his will and his purposes. So we have to actively be doing that even in the summer season. We're patient and persistent. Summer is a time of of growing, and that's where the emphasis should be, but not just on growing. It should be to see continued growth. When I was growing up in in Illinois as a young boy, we would drive through the county, and and I would see like the farmers out there in the dust blowing in the spring, and then summer would come. And all of a sudden, you would drive through, and it would be nothing for as as far as the eye could see, but, but all these fields, just dirt, and then the next time you would drive through there, there all of a sudden, there's the, the corn that has sprouted out. And they used to say knee high by the 4th of July, meaning they wanted it to be this high by the 4th of July, then you're going to have a great crop. Now, I think if it's not that way by the end of May, I think you're in trouble, right? I mean, they have it all figured out. But you would see these rows and rows and rows for miles and miles and miles of corn rows that were ready. But have you know, they weren't ready for harvesting yet. And it's that way in our spiritual life. There's growth and we can see it. And God gives us a glimpse of that in our lives so we can say, yes, we're headed in the right direction, but we're not quite there yet. And we have to protect the growth. We have to keep on growing in the summer months. Otherwise, the sun will come out and scorch everything that we've done and burn it all up and it'll be gone. And isn't that what the parable of the soils teaches us in the parable of the the planter of the seed? That the sun comes out and he scorches that seed and it's gone. It burns up. It doesn't bring forth a harvest. In summer, even though much we enjoy summer and we go out with family and family reunions and picnics and all the great things, 
If we don't, if we don't continue to nurture what God is doing in the summer season, it can be scorched and it can be gone. And so in your notes, here's what I want you to write down. Here's what the summer season allows us to do. In the summer season, we need to continue to be obedient. He says, you're my friends if you just do what I command you to do. Jesus said, if you want to be my friend, then do what I ask you to do. The word obey there in the Greek means this, to listen attentively. And by implication, it means to heed or to confirm, to command uh, or authority. In other words, we're listening attentively so we can act. Why are we listening so attentively? So we can act, so we can do what God asks us to do, so we can obey. There's a story in the Bible, a man and his name was Nahum, and Nahum was the, the king's, one of the king's generals, the king's mightiest of valors. And Nahum comes down with leprosy, and he sends word to the king, I've, I've got leprosy, and the king rips his robe, and the prophet finds out that the king has ripped his robe, and he sends this message, and he says, why have you why have you ripped your robe and why, why are you grieving? He said, why don't you send Nahum to me so that he will know there's a prophet in the land and there's a God. So the king, he's got no other advice because he's sitting there. He's like, am I a God that I can heal? And he says, no, and the obvious answer is no. He says, okay, go see the prophet. And so Nahum travels a long distance. And when he gets there, the prophet sees him coming and the prophet says uh, to his servant, go out and, and, and meet him along the road. And tell him this. So as he gets a far distance from the house, the, the prophet's servant runs out and he sees him there and he says, here's what you're to do. You're to go down to the Jordan River and you're to dunk yourself there seven times and you'll be made whole, you'll be healed. And Nahum cops an attitude. Anybody have kids that cop an attitude? <laughs> or live with someone? Don't praise your hand on this one that maybe cops an attitude. He kind of cops an attitude. He goes, well, where's the prophet? He said, well, he's not coming, but he tells, sends this word that if you'll do this, you'll be healed. And he says, I thought for sure that I've traveled this many distance that he would come and he would at least wave his hand over the infected area so that I could be healed. I thought for sure that, I mean, we have mighty rivers where I come from. What makes the Jordan so special? He's got an attitude. And then he goes, come on. He tells his servant, let's go. We're wasting our time. And as they get back, I'm visualizing now, but as they get back on their horse and they begin to go back to their homeland, his servant says, Nahum, if he would have asked you to do something profound, something incredible, something big, he goes, wouldn't you have done it? He goes, well, of course. Then why that he, since he's asking you to do something so simple, won't you go do it and just obey? Now church, there's a message for us in that right there. Some of us are praying, God, do something so significant, so profound. God, send a new revelation. God, if I'll do whatever, it's got to be, you know, we're asking God to do something big. And I want to ask God to do big things. But in the process between big thing and big thing and big thing, there's a lot of little things that God wants us to do in order to prepare us for the next big thing. And so he says, well, of course. And he says, well, then why don't you just simply go do it? So he goes down to the Jordan River. Now you understand he's got an attitude all right, I'm going to do this thing. And he dips down one time. He goes, he said seven times, sir. Okay. Second time. Do I really have to do seven times? He said seven times, three times, four times, five times. Looks at the leprosy still here. Well, he said seven times. It surely would be leaving by now if he was, you know, I mean, I've done five. I'm almost there six times, right? And seven times and he comes out and what happens? It's completely gone. 
Now I'm going to ask you, was the Jordan so powerful in the nutrients and everything that was in the Jordan River that it brought the healing to him? It was the obedience, wasn't it? I want you to know that your miracle is tied to your obedience. And oftentimes we ask God to do something supernatural without us being willing to go and do something. But your miracle is tied to your obedience. And if you want to see God do something in your life, then do what God has asked you to do. So I don't know, maybe it's been one of those seasons where I've been in winter and things seem so far, God seems so far away and I haven't heard God's voice, then I would tell you this practically, go do the last thing you know God told you to do. Because he's probably waiting for you to do that before you can move on. But in the summer months, we have to be obedient. Anybody with me? Say amen. amen. Number two is witness or what I'm calling a testimony. I love how it reads in the living Bible in Isaiah chapter 12. It says, in, the, in that day you will come and you will give praise to the Lord and you will proclaim his name and you will make known among the nations what he has done and you'll proclaim his name is exalted. Twice it says proclaim, once it says make known. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to make him known, is to proclaim his name, proclaim what he's doing in our life, proclaim, testify, in other words. When we hear that word testify, I think of a court of law and how if you're called to be a witness or to give testimony, you're called to come and to give your version of the story. It's not the lawyer who testifies, it's you that testifies. Is that right? And I believe that as we walk around in this world that we live in, that we're called to do just that, that we're not called to change somebody's mind. In fact, if you're called into the court of law, it's not your job to change anybody's mind there. You're not there to persuade. You're not there to try to, with flowery words, you're not there to try to convince anybody. Your job is simply to tell your version of the story. And that's what makes it so powerful. Because nobody can take away your version of the story. That's your version of the story. And this is the way we are to be with God. That God has done something in your life and then you just tell your version of the story. And people go, well, I don't believe that. You say, you don't have to believe it. That's just what God's done to me. And then you just politely walk away. But more times than not, what happens is we begin to tell our version of the story. And by the way, your story needs to be told. In fact, the world is waiting to hear your story and they will never hear your story unless you tell your story. Because I'm not called to tell your story. I'm going to let that sink in. I'm not called to tell your story. I'm called to tell my story. And what makes it so powerful is it's your personal story that no one can refute. And so you get there and you say, this is what God has done in my life. This is what has happened in my life. This is how God has worked in my life. These are the things that God has done for me. And people around you may or may not believe it, but what happens more times than not, is they begin to get a little bit curious about why is God working in your life and not my life? And that's how I came to the Lord. People began to talk about so often what God was doing in their life. And I was thinking, he's not doing that in my life. They were talking about what God was doing in their church. And I'm like, well, God's not doing that in my church. They were talking about how all the great things that God was showing them when they read the scriptures. And I'm like, God's not showing me things when I read the scripture. They were talking about what God was doing when they were praying and how God was answering the prayer. I'm like, God doesn't seem to be answering my prayer. I must be doing something wrong. 
And so I followed them into their church and I found that there was this active living God that wanted to, that wanted to infiltrate my life and be a part of all that I do. And ever since that moment, I've had one story after another story, after another story, after another story, after another story to tell. The story just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So what about your story? Again, you don't have to convince anybody. That's not why you're there. You're there just to share your story, to testify of what God's done in your life. Thirdly is fellowship. And I want to spend just a few time, spend a little bit of time here and I'll go quick, but I want to spend some time in God's word looking at a few passages of scripture as it relates to fellowship. 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. As I look out over this great congregation, I, I, I can honestly say, I cannot say to you, I don't need you. In fact, I could say the opposite, I need you. That we are all members of one body, the body of Christ, and we, the scripture teaches, need one another. That we can't look as Paul's trying to talk to this church that has some division in it and they have some grumbling. And Paul's looking at this church saying, let me write to you and help you out. That you need one another. You can't say you don't need one another. And the head cannot say the feet, I don't need you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 14, it says, now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the, what is it? It's for the common good. It's for all of our good, in other words. Why is God giving all these different gifts and all this different ability and all these different skill sets? Why is he giving them into the body of Christ? What's it for? Is it for me or is it for my edification or your personal edification that he's given you those gifts? What is the purpose that those gifts have been given to you? What's it for? It's for the common good. It's for all of our good. That's why we need to make sure that we're exercising our gift and our talents and our abilities and we're using them in the right way, in the right attitude for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. For even so, verse 14, the body is not made up of one part, but of many, all of us. First Corinthians 14, 26, it says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, they include you, sister, and hey, come on. Hey, any sisters out there? Hey. Come on. When you come together, kind of like today, when you come together, everything must be done so that the church may be what? Built up. Why do we come together? Build one another up. What's God calls us to do when we come together? We build each other up. Our goal when we walk through the door, whether you realize it or not, and let me make it known to you, that when you walk through the door today, that your job was to build somebody up. It was to strengthen somebody. It was to encourage someone. It was to put your arm around someone and say a prayer for someone that's in need. Our job when we come together like this is to build one another up. And maybe you've had a great week and you just come blasting through the door like, hey, this is awesome. I'm ready for church. But I can tell you there's somebody seated right beside you that's dragged themselves here. They hit the snooze button two or three times. They've been wrestling with something all week in their heart and their mind that they can't quite figure out. That the enemy's been planting seeds in there in the seeds of doubt because of that. When we wrestle, the enemy works his best work, doesn't he? He gets us to not believe what God is doing in the different seasons of our life so that it can spring forth a harvest of righteousness. What he does is he comes and he plucks out that seed. Isn't that what the word says? And that person's maybe seated right beside you and all it takes is a, an encouraging word or a, 
a handshake or a hug or how you doing? And they're going to say, fine. Because that's what you all said this morning. Hey, how you doing? Fine. And then it causes you to have to probe just a little bit more and say, no, no, really, how you doing? You're part of the body of Christ. I love you. And we're called to be together. And when you're rejoiced, I want to rejoice. And when you mourn, I, I want to mourn with you. Have you had a good week? And they might go, no, not really. And you go, I'm sorry to hear that. How can I pray for you? And that person's going to leave here different than when they came in. Because as we gather together, oh, kind of like this, our responsibility, our job is to build one another up. One more verse, Romans 14, 12, or Romans 12, 4 through 6. For just as each of us, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and here it is, and each member belongs all to all the others. We don't like that in America, do we, very well? We like freedom. We like self-expression. We like, I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's the kind of people we are. But the Bible teaches a little different uh, truth to us. He says when we come together, what we need to recognize is that we don't, that we don't, we aren't a bunch of individuals that try to make up the body that are disconnected and disassociated. What we need to recognize is that we all belong one to the other. Hmm. What would that look like if it was practiced out in our lives? What would it look like if we recognized that, that I belong to you and you belong to me and we need one another? You know what that would look like? It sounds an awful like, like covenant. Because covenant suggests this, and, and it's just a big biblical word. Let me explain it. But covenant says this. It says, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. That's covenant. Don't ask to take my car today. I need it. Okay, amen. But I'll give you a lift. I'll give you a lift if you need to go someplace. And covenants were designed to be a lifetime. And when we come together, we come together in this, in this moment. We come together in this moment. We're gathered together. We're building up one another. We belong to one another in covenantal relationship so that we can stay connected and we can grow. And we can grow through good times and bad times. But we're strengthened and deepened and made better because iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. That's why fellowship is so important. That's why in my 30 years of ministry experience that the number one thing the enemy tries to do is take you out of fellowship. And that's why it's so important to be together. Number four is gratitude. I'll just simply say this for time's sake. The scripture says we're to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. In the winter months, what do we do? We give thanks. Yes, for the winter months. In the spring months, when he's working the soil of our heart and it's... And, hurts a little bit. He's stretching us. We say, thank you, God, that your work in the summer months where we see a little growth. We say, thank you, oh God, that I see a growth and a harvest is on the way. You with me? And number five is grace. Why do we do? Why are we concerned about the seasons and what's our part? But we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We're to grow in the grace and the knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Summer's about growth and keeping growth going. Embracing the grace of summer produces this, humility. How many know we need to be humble? Jesus was humble. The Bible says, blessed are those who are humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He comes close to those of us when we are humble. Write this down. The man whose soul is growing in grace. That'll be a phrase I use for the next four. The man whose soul is growing in grace feels his own sinfulness. He's ready to say with Job, I am vile. And with Abraham, I am dust and ashes. And with Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all of your mercies. And with David, I am a worm. And with Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. And like Peter, I am a sinful man, O Lord. When you grow in grace, you don't get to a place where you are able to do whatever you want so that grace continue to abound in your life. When you're growing in grace and you're allowing God to grow in your life, you get closer to the Lord and you begin to see who you really are. And it causes you to be humble because you realize that you are a vile and you are a sinful person. And that we don't always get it right. And that's why forgiveness, yes, with God and with one another is so important. Because we need that at work in our lives. It causes us to be humble. And the man whose soul is growing in grace feels his own sinfulness. Number two is faith. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you hadn't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or on any social media platform at faithchapelsd. We hope to see you real soon. By faith, we can do all things. We can look at a mountain. We say, be removed and cast into the sea, and it has to do it. Come on, somebody. Right? That's faith. That we don't have to sit here and go, oh, I hope God moves. No, no. When our faith begins to grow because we get closer to the Lord, we're able to stand up as the man and women of God that we are under the umbrella and the anointing of Jesus Christ with the robe of righteousness applied to us and stand in his presence and boldly approach the throne room of grace and say, God, I believe that by faith your word will come to pass just as you declared it. And I speak that over this situation and see those things begin to happen. That's what happens when we get closer to God through grace. And we need that in our life, in our church. Thirdly is love. The man whose soul is growing in grace finds his heart increasing with love. A man whose soul is growing in grace finds his heart increasing with love. It's a love for all people, especially those that we have a hard time loving. I don't know why it is in the church, but sometimes, you know, it's easy to, to love some people and not others. And, and we find a way to sit in a whole nother section than the people that we love. I've often found that God puts those people in my life to help me to grow. And when we resist that, we're really resisting the hand of God in our life. God will give us, if we grow in grace in this season, he'll give us a love for all of mankind, but especially for our brothers in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Number four is holiness. A man whose soul is growing in grace finds a life, his life increasingly increasing in holy conduct. A man whose soul is growing in grace finds a life whose conduct becomes more holy. 
holiness. When the presence of the Lord was so real in this room just a few moments ago, that song just kept resonating in my heart because God was here. And I felt like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. I won't say that I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That was Isaiah, not me. That was, that was Isaiah. But it really did cause me to stir, be stirred inside and cry out, holy is the Lord. And I just kept hearing in the echoes of my own heart, holy, holy, holy. That's what it is. Almighty, early in the morning, my soul will rise to thee. Absolutely. When the holiness of God comes and when you sing about it, isn't it just change the atmosphere in the room? And if you're growing in grace, church, your soul is growing in holy conduct. And you become more aware of your temper, your attitude, your words, and your actions. Because that's what holiness does. It focuses, it focuses the attention upon us and not others. Jesus was trying to teach us this very important passage, this, this important truth in the passage. He says, why not, why not take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's? And see, what Jesus is really saying is, is if you follow after me, what will happen is, is that the Spirit will put the spotlight upon you and will cause you to look to yourself. It will cause you to look on the inside of you. And that's why Paul comes back and says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that your job as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, is to respect holiness or to pursue holiness out of a reverence for God. That's our job to be holy before the Lord. However you know, we need that in our society today. I wrote in my notes here is that one person of conviction is a majority. You ever notice that? You can have a room full of people, maybe on your work site or maybe at your school or maybe even in your own family. I'm thinking of times where I've seen this happen in my own life to where, where the, all of everyone's kind of moving in this direction. This is where, the, this is where the, the vote is kind of going. The consensus in the room is moving in this room. And all of a sudden, it takes one person of conviction to go, I don't believe this is right because. And they say it with such conviction and there's such principle-centeredness underneath the words that they're saying that the entire room goes, yeah, I believe that. And it changes the entire room. He is more watchful over his conduct in every relationship in life. He strives more to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in all things and to follow him as an example as well as to trust in him as his savior. And the last point is that we're renewed mind. A man whose soul is growing in grace. Again, this is summer. We're growing in grace. Finds that his mind is more focused on Christ and spiritual things. You know the verse, I end with this, but do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That seed that gets put into the soil, the way I understand as I've been studying is it almost comes to a place of death before in the very next instant, all of a sudden it begins to spring forth life. 
there's a transformation that occurs in that seed. It's no longer, it no longer looks the same as when it went into the ground as the harvest that it brings forth. And can I tell you, God wants to transform something in your life. Some of you are tired of being the same old person that you were. Some of you are tired of, of, of being this, falling under the same sinful habits or, or tripping up in the same ways that you always have because of some personality things that are in your life. Can I believe, I believe that God wants to bring a transformation in your life. But how does he do that? Through the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Why do we need such a renewed mind? Why do we need that focus to be upon the mind of Christ in our life? It's so I can know the will of God for my life and walk in it. That's what prepares me for the harvest that is just around the corner if we don't give up. You with me? Bow your heads with me all over this place. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit begin to move in this room. Lord, growth can be difficult. Lord, growth can be, and transformation can be a, a wonderful thing as we see you begin to work. But as you begin to go deeper and you begin to, to transform our ideology, our philosophies, our attitudes, our thought processes, it can be difficult. But you're shaping us for something greater. You're pouring in us, Father, what we need for the next step, the next season of our life. And so, Lord, I, I pray for every single person that's here in this room that maybe is in a summer season, that, God, they'll embrace the grace of summer and let you begin to do the work that you've started. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that God, that we would just submit ourselves to you and let you through the spirit water, God, that, that plant that's beginning to birth forth in our life, that newness that's there, that we would not allow, but we would be protective of what you're doing. And we wouldn't let the enemy come in and pull it up, God, out of our heart and out of our lives. But God, we would put a, 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 a watchfulness around it. So God, that, that we are mindful, Lord, that that is, that is sacred. That's a sacred gift that seed is. And it is transforming us and it's making us into the image of your son. So God, we put a watchful eye on it today and we ask your Holy Spirit to bring new convictions into our lives, God, to help us for this season that we're in preparing us for the next. And God, I ask all that to be done in Jesus' name. And his heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. If you're here, just one last moment and I'll let you out. But you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not sure where you'd spend eternity. Can I tell you, God wants you to know before you leave here today. Paul said, I know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I believe those words are so important to this moment here today. Paul didn't say, I hope to be absent from this body. I wish, or I, my, my theology or my belief allows me to think these thoughts. He said, I know. And if you're in this room this morning and you don't know that to be absent from the body, your body, 
something tragic or something were to happen. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to prepare you for this life and the next. If you don't know, then I want you to walk out of here with that, that assurance in your own heart and your life to know that you'd stand in the presence of the Lord and hear the words, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant. Welcome into this place of joy. Welcome into your father's happiness. Welcome into this place that I have gone before you and prepared for you. I love you. And for the rest of eternity, we will share in this together. Enter. Friend, I want you to have that assurance in your own life. So as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around as I count to three. When I hit three, I want you to raise your hand all over this place. You're saying yes to asking Christ to come to your life and forgive you of your sin. Are you ready? One, two, without hesitation right now. Three. Yes, I want Jesus to come into my life. I'm saying yes to God in my life. Put it up all over this place. We're going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Come on, put your hand up real high. I want to see it even in the balcony. Thank you. Anyone else, even in the back, back there in the back, I want to make sure I get everyone before we pray. Put your hands down all over this room. Say this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for the wonderful and the miraculous and the free gift of eternal life. I open my life and I ask you to come in. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to live for you and all I say and do. I make you my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just give God praise? Come on. That's transformation right there. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you hadn't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelst.com or on any social media platform at Faith Chapel SD. We hope to see you real soon.